The Gospel reading is from Matthew, chapter 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The word of the Lord. Well, this fall, uh, our pastor Tim has been preaching through the, the Gospels, focusing on Jesus' parables, mostly from the book of Luke. And so today we're going to finish out that series by looking at one more parable of Jesus from Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the forgiving king and the unforgiving servant. Now, this could be timely for us because Thanksgiving and the holidays can be so fantastic but can also be a time of real sadness or real sin with family dynamics that come into play. So there might be a sense in which we need to really seep and think about forgiveness this morning. Well, before we look at this text, let me uh, pray for us uh, as we jump in. Father, we thank you that you are our forgiving king, that you have forgiven us abundantly in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, And we confess we struggle to forgive. And so help us this morning to understand it the way Jesus teaches it, to be empowered to forgive because Jesus has gone before us. Help us in our places of sadness or hurt or bitterness. Uh, Comfort our hearts. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Most of all, raise Jesus up high above us on the cross that we might be encouraged, forgiven, and motivated to uh, practice forgiveness anew. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, you might know of the name Don Henley. He was one of the founding members of the rock band, the Eagles, one of the greatest rock bands in all of history. 
And uh, he wrote a song in his solo career in the early 1990s that you've probably heard played on classic rock radio or variety radio stations. It's called The Heart of the Matter. The Heart of the Matter. Here are a few lines from the song. There are people in your life who've come and gone, but they let you down and hurt your pride. Better put it all behind you. Life goes on. You keep carrying that anger. It'll eat you inside. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter, but my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter. But I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Even if, even if you don't love me anymore. Now, Don Henley is getting at something there that resonates with all of us. This idea of forgiveness. There's something about forgiveness that unlocks the prison house we get stuck in of bitterness. And our culture talks about this and reflects about it a lot. You can read about it in a philosophical essay in the New York Times. You can watch some of our most popular films that have a theme about forgiveness in them. It's, you go to the bookstore or Amazon and there's probably a thousand self-help books on forgiveness and how it's important to personal wholeness and familial wholeness. Well, what does Jesus have to say that's unique and distinctive? What does he teach us about forgiveness that's Christian? That's what we want to dig into this morning by looking at this parable. And we look at this parable this morning, uh, I think you could probably tell me what the main point is. It's very obvious. The main point of this parable is this. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Now, that's very simple to state. How simple is it to practice? Really hard, isn't it? And so this morning, when we look at this main idea, I want to consider it in two parts to examine Jesus' notion of forgiveness in two parts this morning. First, only if you embrace God's forgiveness can you truly forgive others. Only if you embrace God's forgiveness in Christ can then you can truly forgive others. That's the first idea. The second idea we'll see is that forgiveness or the lack thereof exposes the true condition of our hearts. Forgiveness or the lack thereof exposes the true condition of our hearts. Let's look at each of these ideas in turn. First, only if we embrace God's forgiveness can we truly forgive others. And this main idea comes from the first half of the parable, from verses 21 through 27. And we look at those verses, I want to look at three aspects of forgiveness. Number one, the nature of true forgiveness. The nature of true forgiveness. Look at verse 21 with me. Verse 21 the question that Peter asks to set this whole thing up. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now this is a great question because all of us have had this question. How many times must I forgive that person for sinning or hurting me in the exact same way? Right? You've thought about this question because all of us have a spouse or a child or a mom or a dad or a friend, or a boss, or a co-worker, who hurts us, belittles us, abuses us in the same way over and over again. So it's a really good question, isn't it? How many times ought we to forgive? And now Peter here uh, is a little bit uncharacteristic because he's, he's learned something of Jesus. 
He's been with Jesus for almost three years, and he learned something. So he noticed how many times he says. Should it be up to seven times? It's a really good suggestion because in the, that period of time, the Jewish standard practice was that you forgave up to three times. You only need to forgive three times in kind of the Jewish law of that time. So Peter is going farther. He doubles it and adds one more for good measure. But as always, when Jesus responds to questions that are posed to him, what does he do every time? He goes deeper and farther and way past the cultural expectation. Look what Jesus answers. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. It also could be translated 70 times seven. Now, Jesus isn't speaking literalistically here. Meaning, I need to forgive 77 times, but the 78th time I'm done. Rather, Jesus is speaking figuratively here, right? He's saying, forgive and forgive and forgive again. Forgive as many times as as you need to forgive. Always forgive. Uh, One commentator, N.T. Wright, captures the idea here succinctly. If you're still counting how many times you've forgiven someone, you're not really forgiving them at all but simply postponing revenge. Captures it really well. Now, I'm sure many of you are thinking at this point, I don't want to or I can't forgive like that. Some of you have been really sinned against, repeatedly so, and so it's a legitimate question in your heart. I don't want to. I can't forgive like that. Especially if there's something in your past and your present that's really heinous, like abuse or systemic racism or something like that that you've experienced. How can you forgive? When Jesus is saying, forgive and forgive and forgive again. So what's going to enable us to practice true forgiveness to which Jesus is calling us to? Well, the answer is found in Jesus' parable about the forgiving king where we see the nature of God's forgiveness. So secondly, the nature of God's forgiveness. And we look, we find the nature of God's forgiveness in verses 23 through 27, in the first half of the parable. Now when you look at that parable, there are two numbers there related to ancient monetary coinage, right? So the first servant owes the king 10,000 talents. Well, how much is that? Well, a talent of silver was the largest coin of currency in the Greco-Roman world. 10,000 of those would have, ta- would have taken an average laborer in that time 5,000 lifetimes to earn. Two talents is what you could earn in your lifetime as an average laborer. So translating that to contemporary uh, money... Guess how much it is? It's like billions and billions of dollars. The first servant owes the king billions and billions of dollars. Now, it gets even worse than that, because this large enough sum would have actually compromised the king's ability to rule in that day. Uh, In the Roman world, Caesar actually funded the empire with his own treasury. So his funds went out to the Roman world and then returned to him with a bit of a profit through taxation. So it gets even worse, meaning that this large of a debt would have actually compromised the king's ability to rule in Jesus' parable. So here's a summary of what's going on. 
The king cancels a debt the servant could never pay at unbelievable personal cost to himself. Now you ought to be thinking, what is this saying about our God? Because Jesus isn't just telling us a fantastical parable. He's telling us something about the nature of God's forgiveness for us. Here's the point. We have an infinite sin debt toward God we could never pay. And at unbelievable cost to himself, God absorbed that debt by giving up his only treasured one, his son, Jesus, for us. You see, we have this unpayable sin debt towards God because we owe him everything. Simply because he created us, we owe him everything. He's given us all our talents and our abilities and our gifts. He's put us in the circumstances of life. We owe him worship and love and everything. And what did we choose to do? We chose to worship ourselves and every other thing except for him. Now, what happens when you put yourself in front of the king of the universe? That's an infinite affront to his majesty. It's an infinite sin debt. But of course, the story doesn't end there, right? Because our God loves us so much that he said, I will absorb the debt that you owe and could never pay by giving my son in your place to pay that debt that you might be forgiven. Now, please don't miss this point because this is the exact place where religion or all types of religion differ from the gospel. Good moralistic religion of any type says this. You owe God. You have a debt of something to pay God. Therefore, be moral. Do enough good works. Pray enough. Serve enough. And maybe you'll be forgiven and get a spot in heaven. That's what religion says. Completely opposite of that is the gospel, which says, you can never pay it. So guess what? Jesus paid it for you. That's how much God loves you. And it sets you free to live a new kind of life. In fact, it sets you free to be able to forgive. So if we've now been freed up to forgive, what does it practically look like to forgive one another? Are there steps to forgiveness that you could actually practice? Well, guess what? There are. There's some good steps you can practice to learn how to forgive. In verse 27, we can uh, unearth uh, three essential steps to forgiveness by observing the way the king forgives the first servant. And as we look at these steps, I want to acknowledge that I've uh, gleaned and adapted them somewhat from a very excellent sermon that Tim Keller preached years ago. Uh, that helped to crystallize some thoughts I had in this passage. And so some of these ideas are from him that I've, I've taken and adapted a bit. But look at verse 27 for, uh, in front of you. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. When we look at this verse, we can see three essential steps to genuine forgiveness. And here they are. Have compassion. Let go of your demand for justice and absorb the relational debt personally. We'll walk through these. Step one, have compassion. What's the first thing the king does? The king forgave out of pity for him. Now, I don't like that translation because in modern English, it sounds like, oh, he's so pitiful. Well, what's behind that in the Greek is the idea of the king's heart went out to the servant. He had compassion for him. 
Now, when our heart goes out to someone else, what happens? We identify with that person. We realize that person is just like us. They're just as broken and sinful as we are. They need forgiveness just as much as we do. Which is completely counter to what we want to do when someone sins against us. When we're sinned against, we want to make it as big a deal as possible. They're so different than us. I would never do it that way. I wouldn't say that thing. I wouldn't fall into sin like that. You see, our heart wants to create a caricature of the person in our mind when they sin against us. Now think of a caricature that you've seen, uh, maybe like in the newspaper or you go to an amusement park and they have those caricature artists, right? They have the easel and they, they're drawing a face. What do they do? Well, they look at the person's face and they pick the most distinctive feature on that person's face and they blow it out of proportion for comic effect. Well, that's what we want to do when someone sins against us. We want to emphasize what's so evil and wrong and different about that person than what's, what's true. And we're never going to be able to, to forgive until we stop doing that. Because we don't treat ourselves like that when we sin, do we? If someone sins against us, we think, well, they're a terrible person. They're just such a liar. She's just a, such a deceiver. But if we tell a lie, what do we do? It was a white lie. I, I mean, I was, it was complicated. I was in a difficult place. There was so much pressure I was under. So the first step is to have compassion, to see there's a commonality between us. We're both broken. We're both in need of grace. We're both sinners that need to be forgiven. Uh, Miroslav Volf writes this, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Let me read that again. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. So step one of forgiveness, have your heart go out to the other, have compassion. Step two, let go of your demand for justice. Let go of your demand for justice. In verse 27, what does the king do? He releases the servant. He releases the servant from this burden. He he doesn't demand justice. Now, I want to be very careful here because I'm not saying that justice isn't important. I'm making a distinction between a desire for justice and a demand for justice. You see, we're people creating the image of God, and so justice is a very important thing. Our God is a God of justice. He's created us to desire justice, to work for justice in the world. The problem is that when we're sinned against and offended, we tend to want to take that desire and hold on to it to demand that we must have payment. And when we do that, we actually take ourselves out of the community of humans and make ourselves godlike. Because only God can demand justice. Only God will bring final and perfect justice one day on the day of judgment when Jesus returns. So we don't have to work for vengeance. We don't have to be vengeful. We don't have to demand justice. We can desire it and work for it and pursue justice but we can let go of that demand. Now, I also want to say one more caveat about this, is that if someone has heinously or criminally sinned against you, please seek justice. 
do it. But if you pursue it in a way which is wanting vengeance without a posture of forgiveness, then all you want is revenge. You don't want justice. So we're trying to be careful here, right? So first we have compassion, then we let go of our demand for justice. But thirdly, step three is absorb the debt personally. Absorb the debt personally. You see, when someone sins against you, there is a debt to be be paid. There's a spiritual or emotional or relational debt that has to be paid. And you know this is true because when someone offends you, it feels like they took something from you. They stole something from you. Maybe they actually literally did. But it feels like your heart has been ripped out. You feel it, that there's something wrong. And so we have a choice. We can either make them pay, or you can pay the debt yourself. Make them pay, or you, have to pay, it, or you pay it down yourself. Now let's think about this in concrete terms first. How this works. Uh, so when I was 10 years old, as all 10-year-old boys like to do, we practiced like karate stuff. And so I was in our downstairs bathroom, and there was a full-length mirror in our bathroom, and so I was practicing my karate kicks in the mirror to see how cool I was. Now, you can probably guess what happened next. I actually kicked the mirror, and it cracked. Thankfully, I had shoes on, so I didn't cut my foot. Oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? Can I hide that I did this? No way. So I sheepishly go to my dad and say, Dad, I'm so sorry, it was an accident. Please forgive me, you know, and he was very gracious. But there's still a debt to be paid for that mirror, isn't there? Someone has to pay for it to be fixed. Either my dad could pay for it, or I could spend six months of my allowance to pay for the mirror. Well, thank you know, graciously he paid, mercifully he paid for the mirror. But the point I'm trying to make is when there's a sin debt, even when there's forgiveness, the debt has to be paid somehow. Now, just like God paid our infinite sin debt in Jesus, when we sin against each other, there's still this relational debt that needs to be paid. And so either we can make the other person pay, or we can absorb that debt ourselves. Now, when we make the other person pay, here are some of the tactics we use. We make them pay by gossiping about them, by slandering them, by berating them, to make them feel so terrible for what they did. Or we seek revenge in some way. Or we grow cold and turn inwards and withdraw from them. We make them pay in all those ways. And uh, when we make them pay, does it work? Do you feel better? Yeah, you do. But not for long. Eventually, the bitterness and numbness pervade our hearts and we grow calloused and hardened, loveless kind of people. And where does that get you? Well, it gets, gets us in our own kind of prison, doesn't it? So in contrast to making the other person pay, the gospel way is to pay the debt yourself, to absorb that relational, emotional burden yourself. And that really hurts, doesn't it? It hurts to forgive in that way. But when we do, we follow after the way of our Savior Jesus, who went all the way to the cross for us, And just like Jesus, the way of death leads to the way of life. So when we practice forgiveness, it hurts. It feels like death, actually. But when we do, we follow after Jesus on the way to life. So in summary, these three practical steps are have compassion, 
Let go of your demand for justice, even while you desire and pursue justice, and absorb the relational debt personally. So as we think about this process, remember the only reason we can ever forgive like this is because God has forgiven you first. He's infinitely forgiven you in Jesus. Therefore, we can be empowered, we can be motivated to forgive. So let's now turn to our second uh, main idea in the second half of the parable. In a more brief, brief way, consider the second half of the parable and, and look at the interchange between the, the first servant and the second servant. And we look at the second half of the parable. Here's the main idea there. Forgiveness or the lack thereof exposes the true condition of your heart. What's in your heart is going to come out related to forgiveness. And this comes to us from verses 28 through 35. And we look at these verses, we're going to discover three more things about forgiveness. First, the consequences of unforgiveness. The consequences of unforgiveness. So in the second half of the parable, there are, there's a first servant and a second servant. The first servant has been forgiven billions and billions of dollars in modern currency. And he goes right away to another servant who owes him a hundred denarii. Have any idea how much that is? How much? That's right. It's like three to four months of wages of a daily laborer. So let's compute it into modern terms. $15,000, let's say. A billion dollars versus $15,000. That's where this parable turns, right? So instead of showing mercy, the second servant goes to, the first servant goes to a second servant and he throws this guy in debtor's prison. And when the king hears of it, he summons the first servant back to him and he says this. Look at verses 32 through 34. When his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now here's the kicker. Look how Jesus applies it to us in verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, our reaction to that probably ought to be, whoa. Jesus is saying there are eternal consequences for practicing unforgiveness? In fact, the import of Jesus' words are so strong here that if we practice unforgiveness, that will eventually land us in hell. Now, as soon as I say that, that makes all of us very uncomfortable. And some of you this morning just want to tune me off as soon as I mention the word hell. And I, I, I can appreciate that. But hang with me because I, I want to explore this a little bit. Because I want you to think about it like this. Um, when someone sins against you and you choose not to forgive, but rather choose to make them pay, it feels good initially, but then what happens? Bitterness passes into our heart. It gets like embedded in there. And anger builds. And like Don Henley put it in his song, you keep carrying that anger and it's going to eat you inside. People that hold on to unforgiveness become distant and cruel and apathetic and angry and vengeful. And I hope that you're not that kind of person, but all of us know people like that or have come in contact with a very bitter person. And what's it like to be around a person like that? It's terrible. It's kind of almost hellish to be around a very bitter person locked in their bitterness. 
In other words, even in the present, a life of unforgiveness is like a prison. We're not free. Refusal to forgive eventually becomes a place of emotional turmoil and torment. And eventually, that kind of locked in bitterness lifestyle, where does it land us? It would land a person in hell. Jesus is going to consign and judge a person who's locked in their own bitterness to that kind of punishment. Now, uh, that's a very sobering point for us, right? Very sobering. And I want to be really careful here because there's a delicate balance we need to strike that might be a warning for some of us, but also it's a heart check because we need to balance this against the gospel. And we want to think about that in this way, that there's, uh, number two, there's a heart behind unforgiveness. There's a heart behind unforgiveness. You see, the message of Christianity in the Bible is one of grace and God's love and forgiveness, that God has forgiven us abundantly in Jesus, like we've talked about a lot already. There's nothing we can do to merit his favor. He forgives us in Christ. And once we've been forgiven in Christ, God doesn't then take away that forgiveness. He's not going to do that. So then how do we balance this really significant warning of Jesus with the reality of the gospel promise? Well, the key is to observe the condition of the heart of the unforgiving servant. We get a few clues in this parable. Look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. This servant has just been forgiven unbelievably, and his first action is to choke this other servant who owes him a little bit of money? That tells us something about the condition of this guy's heart, doesn't it? The fact that the servant was forgiven by the king, but it doesn't change who he is, means that this king's forgiveness and love never transformed the core of the servant's heart. It didn't transform him from the the inside out. Here's the bottom line for us. If you refuse to forgive others, that is a sign that you never really opened your heart to God's forgiveness in the first place. Now this can be a real challenge to really good moralistic people. Because you might be a very religious person. You may have come to church all your life. You may know a lot about the Bible. You may know a lot about Jesus, actually. You might even be able to define justification by faith. But if you cannot practice forgiveness, it may be an indication that God's grace has never transformed your heart to begin with. There might be no better test in all of life than this test of forgiveness. Because if you understand and rest and love Jesus and the gospel of grace, you can't help but forgive. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's a process. But you can't help to forgive because you've so been changed by the grace of God. Well, what's it going to take then for the gospel to sink down and plant roots in our hearts to enable us to forgive like this? How can we embed the gospel in our souls? Well, the answer is, we need a change of heart. We need a change of heart. Third and finally, the change of heart that leads to forgiveness. When you look at the very end of verse 35, what's Jesus' final command? 
forgive your brother or forgive your sister from the heart. Well, you and I can't do that if our heart hasn't been changed. But I can't change my heart. Can you change your heart? The only way that our heart can be changed is if we see Jesus' heart for us. Remember back earlier we said that having compassion is to have your heart go out to the other? Well, did you know that one of the most significant ways that Jesus is described in the Gospels as he relates to other people is that Jesus' heart goes out to others. He looks at us and he sees us in distress and suffering and sin and our shame. And what's his first move? His heart goes out to us. And there's no better place than to look to the cross to see that Jesus' heart has gone out to you. He willingly died to pay your sin debt. And on the cross, he declares what? It is finished. It is paid in full. Your sin is paid in full. You are forgiven. Jesus' heart is on display for you there. And when you see it and believe it and love it, your heart is changed. The only way that you can forgive, to be able to forgive truly, all those little snubs that happen to us every day by our spouse or our kids or our parents or our coworker or our boss or our neighbor, the only way you can practice forgiveness daily, consistently, the only way you can practice forgiveness with those huge sins that are sinned against you is to go back again and again to Jesus, that his heart goes out to us, that he paid the debt that we could never pay. Well, in conclusion, we've seen that only embracing God's forgiveness in Jesus can we ever hope to forgive others. And we forgive because Jesus' heart has gone out to us. Now, I want to close with this real-life story of a huge offense and how Jesus can empower us to forgive. You may have heard this before. It's actually quite famous. But there was a woman named Corrie Ten Boon, who's a Dutch Christian, who uh, she and her sister Betsy hid Jews from the Nazis in their home, and they were found out. Because of it, they were sent to a concentration camp. And Betsy died in that concentration camp, but Corrie survived the war and afterward began to tour Europe, preaching the gospel of forgiveness in Jesus. And in in her book, The Hiding Place, she writes about this encounter she had. I was in a church service in Munich when I saw him. The former SS man who had stood at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers I had seen since that time. And suddenly... It was all back, I was back there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain blanched face. This man came up to me as the church was emptying, bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think as you say, Jesus has washed away my sins as well. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I who had preached so often about the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled inside me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. 
I struggled to raise my hand. I couldn't do it. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. I then took his hand, and the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, through my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. Well, into my heart sprang a love for this man that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the healing of the world hinges, but on Christ's. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have forgiven us infinitely in Jesus of all our sin, that we are totally forgiven. For all time, we're forgiven. And so I pray that that reality of gospel grace would pervade our hearts this morning, would change us, would change our hearts, that we would become forgiving people for the first time maybe this morning, or more deeply forgiving people, if there are people in this, con- in this uh, service right now that need to forgive one another, would you motivate them to do it? If there are spouses that need to be reconciled, would you cause that to be the case? If there are parents and children that need forgiveness, would you empower us by the gospel? Help us today, we pray. Both uh, uh, bind up our hearts, convict us of where we need to practice forgiveness, but also motivate us to do it by your love. We thank you for this parable. We thank you for Jesus, our King. And we pray it all in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen.